today's episode, we open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, the first 41 verses. Witness the birth of a new era as the disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, miraculously speak in languages they hadn't previously learned, stunning and confounding the crowd of pilgrims gathered in Jerusalem. Amidst the astonishment and not a little skepticism, Peter steps forward to deliver a powerful sermon tying the day's extraordinary events to ancient prophecy and, of course, the recently crucified and now risen Jesus Christ. These things result in an outpouring of faith as thousands respond to Peter's call to believe in Jesus. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, July 18th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. This morning, as we tiptoe our way into the second book of Acts, um, please, or the chapter, I should say, please join me in welcoming my guest this morning. He's a regular contributor to the show. It's the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Good morning, Pastor Shank, and welcome back to the program. Well, good morning. God's blessings to you, and thanks for having me back. Uh, it's always it's always fun to be on and, and always wonderful to uh, explore God's word, to see um, to see the text and to, to put it before our people uh, in the Bible study and to to see all the things that are happening with with KFUO. It's, it's always a blessing. Excellent. Well, we're glad that you're a part of that. You know, I've been in the Old Testament for quite a while. I I jokingly, or not so jokingly, said that I got tired of mispronouncing Hebrew names. Uh, Today's text is one of those ones that has a bunch of tricky names in it, uh, but it's in our lectionary, so I'm actually pretty good at it, I think, by this point. But uh, today we are going to be covering a pretty interesting event in the church's history. Obviously, it's the day of Pentecost. It's a huge deal. But it's also one of the most widely misunderstood texts, and I think that's odd because the grammar is pretty simple. Yeah, 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 definitely. And especially then, um, you know, you said you were in the Old Testament. There's there's definitely an Old Testament connection, which I think um, highlights what our, our Lord uh, had been doing and, and continues to do and, and bringing— um, Christ forward through the work of the Holy Spirit, and, and then yes, I think you're you're right on on its misunderstanding. Um, it is, I think it's maybe more simple um, or clearer, and the misunderstanding tends to muddy the waters. And I think if we can simplify and clarify, uh, the muddying of the waters is um, is kind of. Uh, swept away, and we're left with something yeah. uh, really refreshing and really uh, filled with grace and, and something for us to, to rejoice in God's gifts uh, yet even today, uh, for us today. Well, let's let's do that. Let's, let's sweep away all that mud, see if we can make it crystal clear for folks who are wanting to grow in their faith toward God, and uh, I think it's a good idea for us to begin our time together in prayer. So would you lead us in an opening prayer, please? Yes, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, God and Lord, with your graces now outpoured on each believer's mind and heart, your fervent love to them impart. Lord, by the brightness of your light and holy faith your church unite from every land and every tongue, this to your praise, O Lord our God, be sung. Alleluia. In the name of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, last time we were together, yesterday, in fact, we began this brand new book, the book of Acts, and we talked, uh, well, you know, we only got through the first chapter, so there's not a whole lot to recap, but basically, the, the main thing they did is they chose a new apostle. They chose someone to replace Thomas, who had uh, obviously been disobedient and um, rebelled against God's plan and rejected Christ and, of course, uh, betrayed him. And so now we get to this section, and I'm going to read the first verse. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. (laughs) See, that's verse 1. But already 
I think we need to do some unpacking because it's interesting as we read the scriptures and we, when we say the, the day of Pentecost to the average Lutheran, the average Christian, they're going to know exactly what that means. They're either going to think about this event that happened during Pentecost. They're going to think about Pentecost Sunday. They're going to think about Pentecost season, perhaps, if they're in a liturgical church. Uh, but, but Pentecost really precedes the Christian understanding of it. It precedes this event right here. So maybe, brother, it would be a good idea for us to explain these uh, three festivals that are going on near one another so that people understand, I guess, the Jewish background. Like, when the day of Pentecost arrived, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, and I think, uh, um, as you said at the beginning here, replacing uh, Judas, Judas uh, with uh, Matthias um, and, and their unity— uh, is definitely something that comes in in our chapter two, this unity of all all the rest. Um, uh, you're right. There's um, a connection here with uh, Pentecost, the Old Testament. Um, Pentecost uh, is one of the three uh, pilgrim festivals. So if you can remember um, uh, the, fist, the festival or the Feast of Unleavened Bread or uh, Passover, um, is the first, and then the second, the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of uh, Pentecost, and that's ours to look at. And then the, the, the end festival of the, the end of the harvest, or the festival of booze being the, the third. Now, there's other uh, feasts for the, the people of Israel, but these are the three high uh, ones in which uh, the, the people actually had to travel or require the men were required to to travel um, and to celebrate these. So, uh, which helps to explain then why the numbers have uh, kind of exploded in Jerusalem. The the residents there from all over uh, the known world. Why were they there? Well, God had called them to be there. So specifically uh, for this uh, feast of weeks. If you have a Lutheran study Bible, if you went to to page two hundred two hundred and one, you would see some information about what I had just said, but specifically um, about this festival. Um, it is 50 days, 50 days after, um, and that's why it's uh, called Pentecost. And um, this is the, the beginning of the, the wheat harvest, the first fruits of the wheat harvest, uh, which I would call the people to kind of keep in mind, keep in mind the first fruits reality as we look at our our text, right. um, but then they would offer up the the farmers would come in and they would offer up uh, to the Lord uh, the first of the fruits. They would uh, say, "My father is a, a was a wandering uh, Aramean," and they would lay this uh, uh, fruit before the Lord. I got a reminding that the Lord had done the gracious nature uh, that the Lord has chosen Abraham. Um, and uh, he is their father, and he had brought them into this land, a land that has uh, the fruit already growing in it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and now they have been benefited from this, and they would be reminded um, that the Lord would bring, um, though the, the harvest has begun, um, the Lord would bring in the fullness of the harvest. They had such, such faith. So the, the, the people would lay before the Lord the first of the harvest. Yeah, this um, Pentecost, as we call it, Penta, of course, for 50. Uh, Shavuot is what the Jews would have called it, the, fest, the Feast of Weeks. Uh, as you already pointed out, it's seven weeks after that um, you know, second day of Passover. And it's interesting, you talked about the first fruits, and that's really something that we need to focus on, again, as you said, when we go through this, this understanding of perhaps why the Holy Spirit chooses Shavuot, why he chooses Pentecost as the time in which to to come. Uh, but at the same time, you know, this would have also been customary for the Jews to, they're, actually they were celebrating, they were commemorating the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So they would be studying the Torah, uh, they would be eating dairy foods, they'd be doing all kinds of different festivals, but ultimately it was to pass down this remembrance that God had uh, come down on the mountain and given his law to the people, law which is good. Um, this coming of the Holy Spirit, as I'm sure you're going to elucidate for us, it really does uh, emphasize how God is behind uh, 
behind what's going on. You know, it, it's the first fruits of the of 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 the kingdom that is going to come. As I said earlier, it's a pivotal time in the church, and so we're going to keep all those things in mind. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read. Uh, let's see here. I, I'll just read until it makes sense to stop. Here we go. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. All right, that's the end of verse 13, and that's where we're going to pause so, yeah, they're all together at Pentecost. Now we know why they've gathered together. At least we know why there are so many, you know, devout men from every nation under heaven, as it says there. Uh, but they've gathered together, and now we have this miraculous event. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Um, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. What, what exactly is, are they experiencing on the ground here? Yeah, they're they're experiencing um, an outward manifestation of what our Lord is doing. So he's he's outpouring his Holy Spirit, and um, you know this miraculous sign of what what he's doing, um, which is which is also then evidenced in what um, the Holy Spirit intends to do, and which is to preach um, preach Christ and him and him crucified, preach. Um, the mighty works of the Heavenly Father uh, through the sacrifice, the loving sacrifice, the willing sacrifice of His, of His Son, um, and, and that this gift of the Holy Spirit will be for, for all people. Um, but, but as we said at the beginning here, uh, this is Pentecost, so they are the first uh, fruits of this, um, of this harvest, which will be ripened, and uh, the need for the the sending out of the apostles uh, to, to go and tend to the fields um, because the harvest is definitely uh, plentiful. Um, so yeah, the, the, here we have the Holy Spirit uh, evidence and wind, uh, which is uh, definitely a, a connection to the Holy Spirit where, um, you know, we go back to, to John's gospel. There's this uh, play with Nicodemus with wind and spirit uh, this um, so here we have the the sound of the wind, the sound of the spirit coming and and filling the place where they were. Um, you know, you can remember the uh, first chapter where they're all together in this upper room, and now they are again all together. And then tongues as a fire rested on them. And I know in Sunday school VBS we always place it on the tops of their heads. Who knows where it rested? Maybe it rested on their on their literal mouths, right? Uh, maybe it rested on them in a way that it re represented uh, what um, what they are saying is not from them. They are not the source of it, but the Spirit is at work uh, through them to preach uh, to the people, and and that's exactly what they uh, what they come to do. So. All these people, as, as you listed out all the names that we say every, uh, every day of Pentecost, whenever we have a, uh, uh, a new student from uh, the seminary, we kind of go over the names. Um, here's, here's the names you'll get. As you said, you, you've been used to saying them uh, all these years. It's a, a text that's the same um, every, every Pentecost, no matter if, uh, you know, what, what year you're in, if you're a three-year person. 
through your church or not. Uh, we always have this text. And uh, so they all come together and they are bewildered. They are amazed um, because they're all hearing them speak in their own language, which helps us. Uh, this is the beginning of the clarification of, of one of the confusing or muddying up of what a of uh, the clear the clearness of what the text is actually saying and i don't know if it's one of these things that you wanted to to pause to discuss here or not um i'll leave that to you well you know a couple things i want to discuss and i i do want to get into the languages thing before we even do that though you know a couple things that we see going on here obviously were foretold the the tongues as a fire and the the breath the word here for wind can also be the word for breath. That's actually only used, I think, twice in Scripture, once for wind and once for breath. But they're connected, uh, in a way, to the word pneuma, which is the word spirit, and that's what you were talking about. There's a play on words here, right? There's a there's a noah, which is the word here, P-N-O-E is how we might transliterate it. Th this word is uh, related to pneuma, but the idea is that there's this wind, which represents the spirit, and then there's tongues as of fire. They're not literally fire, but that's the, the best human description you could give to something supernatural going on. And yet, we've heard fire before, right? We have John, the baptizer, back in Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so we see this idea, the Holy Spirit's coming. Things as of fire are coming. Prophecies are being fulfilled, not just from John, but from Jesus who said he would send the Holy Spirit, and he did, and all those things are taking place. And so we, we just see this great fulfillment, and I think the disciples, if they had been paying attention, are are really making the connections here. You know, it, it takes them a while to make the connections, but I don't think that that's something that uh, would have escaped them at this point. You know, Jesus is keeping his word. And, of course, we're going to hear from Peter in a, a little bit, too. Uh, but those are the connections that stood out to me. Yeah, and I, th I think um, I think there's connections even— and I know uh, we're dealing with Luke's writing here, but um, to the work of, of Christ at the cross that J John is pointing out, and I think John does a, an amazing job of of pointing out that the the gift of the Spirit has its source um, in the Father and the Son, and there upon the cross, when when Jesus uh, dies, He's not just giving up His own um, personal Spirit in that death, but but breathing out the Spirit by which then gives life to the church, and then you see it in John chapter. Uh, 20 after the resurrection or 21 uh, where uh, he breathes on the disciples and he tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. So um, this uh, this gift of the Holy Spirit uh, from the from the cross uh, to his disciples um, for for the proclamation of the gospel is is something that the disciples should have been well, well aware of. <laughs> And he had told them in the in the farewell discourse um, that he would be giving the gift of the Holy Spirit. They needed to stay in in Jerusalem until they were clothed with the the power from on high. So all these things um, should have been understood, but it's really on, only till after the this day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit brings back to remembrance all that Jesus had had said and taught, that they really have this um, miraculous eye opening reality of 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 all that Jesus has done is is continuing this wasn't this isn't over that that it's yes it's the acts of the apostles but really it's a uh, you know the act of the the acts of the holy spirit um through the apostles uh in the calling and the gathering of these um of these believers well let's talk a little bit about the languages then so <laughs> What we have is they are they are able to communicate in languages that they have not previously learned. So verse 8, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then we get that nice list of all the nations under heaven, so to speak. Um, so I, I guess there's a couple ways to think about this. You know, 
are each are each of these disciples speaking the language that they haven't previously learned such that they can be understood by different people um or is it i guess what i would might call is the the star trek communicator effect you know when you have shows like star trek it, you have this problem with uh why does everybody speak english and and then they solved it by saying well by this time in the future, they've invented this universal translator so that everybody just kind of hears everybody in whatever language they can understand. Um, so, so is it that the disciples are speaking in some strange way that then is just understood by everybody? Are they speaking Aramaic and everybody just happens to be able to hear them in their own language? Are they all somehow speaking different languages so that all the represented groups can hear them. Um, I guess what I'm asking is, how do you understand what's actually going on with their ability to be understood? Because we have some folks in Jerusalem saying that they're babbling, right? That they're, they're, they're mocking them. They're filled with new wine. They're drunk. Um, I, I don't know what how much alcohol you have to drink to be able to speak languages you've never <laughs> learned, but, but that just seems like an unusual description unless... They were either, A, just flat-out mocking him, which is possible, um, or they really didn't understand what was going on. Uh, how do you see the, I guess the, and I'm not expecting you to know for sure, but how do you see the logistics of what's going on? All right, so then I I would take the sense that they were speaking um, actual languages uh, from verse uh, 4. So... Uh, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So uh, tongues being plural. So they weren't speaking one. Uh, I don't take this as like one heavenly language or one uh, pre-Tower of Babel language that then, um, as you said, kind of gets communicated. It's, it's received by the individual in the language that they spoke. Um, I instead take it that um, the as uh, as we had maybe a, a couple weeks ago, the lowliness of, of Jesus to come down to us to receive us as as we are um, and to even then be willing to communicate his gospel in our own languages. So it's it's not the reversal of Babel in the sense that we're only going to have one language. Um, but to um, but to, to bless the languages for which we have um, by the by the fact that these language every language now can be and is blessed by the Holy Spirit to to communicate um, the mystery of God uh, and to call us to actually believe so you don't have to learn um, Hebrew or, um, or or Latin um, or Greek uh, to 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 know the truth of the gospel that the truth of the gospel can be communicated in English or Aramaic or or whatever um, so that's and and then uh, can they understand what maybe that was part of what you said uh, can they understand everything they're saying um, that is uh, a little confusing to me uh, because it seems like uh, where I would say uh, later on with Paul there tends to be a need uh, for a translator. Uh, so uh, there could be times in which uh, they uh, maybe don't even fully understand that that native language that they are speaking. They are intending to speak the gospel, right? Uh, but the words that come out of their mouth are in a language that they might not understand, which then they would need someone to translate it. Um, that's how I always take it, which then is against maybe some of our brothers and sisters of other denominations where they don't even see it as a, a, a language of human origin. Uh, they see it as a language of, uh, of a heavenly origin where it's, it is much more babble, babbling, um, where no one might be able to interpret. Right. Um, so no, well, I would say it much more purposefully in the languages of the people uh, as in verse four. Yeah, and I, I think I—well, I mean, I don't think I do agree with you in terms of verse 4. I think that makes it clear that, that you know, they are speaking languages that they hadn't previously learned, right, as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's pretty pretty straightforward. 
Uh, Pentecostals, typical name for this event, actually, they've named their whole faith system after this event, um, they typically will say that in this case, the languages are just as we would say, that they are languages they hadn't previously learned, that it is an undoing of the Tower of Babel. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. But before we even get to there, the, the biggest concern we have with the um, Pentecostal point of view is that they also see this sort of heavenly language thing showing up later um, where you need the interpretations. But even above that, they see this as a separate event to, say, baptism. So you would be baptized as a Christian um, at, in their tradition of the Age of Accountability, and then at some point you're not like a real Christian asterisk. You know, you're kind of asterisk Christian until you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that is demonstrated by having some gift, right, like the, the ability to speak in uh, heavenly languages or the ability to heal or the ability to um but this this one this being able to speak in tongue so to speak is the greatest uh, typically uh, obviously there's differences between the flavors of pentecost but usually this is the one that they see as the most preferred uh but i think it's important that we counter that because uh you know what's happening here is that the people are being the the, the disciples are being equipped to go out and proclaim the word of God to all the nations. Basically, God has given them something to do, and now he's giving them the ability to do it. Uh, but I guess the two questions that flow out of my little rant is, do you see this as an undoing of the Tower of Babel? And second question is, do the, do the disciples retain this ability, you think? Do you think that they forever are now able to speak in these languages they hadn't previously learned, or was this an acute event for this purpose? Sure. Uh, great questions. Um, so yeah, uh, Pentecostals it tend tend to put so much focus on this, and and I, I kind of I've I've uh, attended a couple Pentecostal congregations just to see. I mean, it, in uh, in uh, seminary was kind of required to as a, as a class just to see. You know, they wanted to assign us to go to churches. Um, so that we weren't really talking as as much as outsiders, even though we're going to be outsiders no matter what. But to try to try to understand, try to see. Um, so yeah, I got to talk to a few people from a Pentecostal background e there at seminary and and an undergrad too, going to a church in uh, downtown Detroit and uh, talking to a Pentecostal uh, pastor who said, "Well, I, I can give you this gift if you really want it, right? If you really want it." I lay my hands on it. You'll be able to speak in tongues. I'm like, I just don't. I don't see that as demonstrated here in Scripture. I don't see that that's the connection. So no, I don't. I don't. Uh, obviously, being a Lutheran pastor, I don't. I don't uh, fully agree. Obviously, or or maybe agree at all um, with how how they're interpreting these heavenly languages um, instead of seeing it as a. Um, as a purposeful reality of preaching Christ, where people are actually being edified, built up, um, instead of the individual being built up. Um, so can they continue on to do it? Well, I think 1 Corinthians 13 is helpful. Um, uh, where could these disciples continue in it? Maybe. I, I don't know if that's going to be the case for them always in their life. I don't know. Um, I think the the gift of the Holy Spirit wasn't primarily for them, um, in this case, of that speaking out of their languages. The gift of the Holy Spirit, what brought them into the faith, was for them. But the right. gift of the tongues was so that other people um, who were then outsiders could know that they aren't with, with, the, with God. They are no longer outsiders but have been brought in. So every time that a new group, uh, Gentiles or a new Gentile mission or a, um, that the Holy Spirit is doing something different um, in the sense of calling people to believe and pointing them to Jesus, there, there were miracles. Um, I, I look at 1 Corinthians uh, 13 and I, I kind of wonder how much is that needed today where the gift of faith 
and the and the gift of of loving my neighbor is what what then will continue. Um, and I see then the gift of tongues if it's if it's not um, if it's not united with the love of my neighbor, if it's for myself, um, it tends to to downplay that as a real good gift. Um, so, um, yeah, I think we need to take the whole counsel of God together. And by the end of this chapter, we kind of, I, th- I think it's a, a corrective to a Pentecostal understanding of, um, will everybody do it? I, I don't, I, I don't see that with the rest of the 3000. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, I have one more question about this, uh, but we're, I'm going to let you answer it when we come back from break. Uh, but one of the questions I often get uh, when I lead people through this or through the Pentecost event is people want to know this idea of being able to speak a language that you haven't previously learned, uh, the miraculous ability. Um, does that still happen today? And if so, in what context? That's something to think about. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Shank and I will keep on going through Acts chapter 2. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Booth. With me this morning is the Reverend John Shank. He's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Folks, remember, I invite you to reach out to me anytime with your questions or your comments at pastorboo at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook, too. Just search for Phil Boo. Uh, Send me a message. Send me a friend request. And in case you haven't heard me say, I want you to remember that Thy Strong Word offers so many ways for you to stay connected. Of course, we broadcast over AM850 in the St. Louis area. But remember, you can subscribe to the program as a podcast. You can listen live or on demand with the KFUO radio app or by simply going to KFUO.org. This is also a great way to share the program with others. You can actually go to KFUO.org. Find your favorite episode, grab that link, and you can send it to people. Let them get in on the program, too. Well, Pastor, before the break, I I posed a question, and I get this every time. And I I have my own, I guess opinion is the best way we can go about it. I have my own opinion about this. I'm interested to see how much we share in common about this. But people will say, all right, so they've been given this miraculous ability to speak in languages, not nonsense babbling language, but clear language fluent foreign languages, but they hadn't previously been given this ability. Um, does that happen today? I mean, we, we, we always ask about miracles happening today, and I certainly believe miracles happen today. Do you think this kind of thing happens? If the question is, can it happen? I, I think obviously the Lord can work well, uh, miracles, right? Um, have I ever seen it happen or um, heard firsthand evidence I've always, uh, you know, when I talk to these uh, Pentecostal friends and or evangelical friends, and they're like, "Well, I I know this missionary, and they talked about a person that they once knew who heard about somebody who um, just, you know, they were brought off to the side and they started speaking to these people, uh, native people in their language." I said, "Well, that was like third person, right? There were fourth person right. or fifth person." I, I I have never talked to some. The people I talk to are missionaries would have loved to have had that happen, but they had to learn. Um, they had to learn um, Mandarin, which isn't easy, right? And they had spent a long time studying. When we went off to seminary, um, the, the, the professor didn't just place his hands on you, on your head, and you just, oh, I know Greek now. No, you spent a long time 
studying and same thing with Hebrew and, and maybe some Latin or some uh, some German or, or whatever languages. Right. So um, my personal experience has been when we send out missionaries, we are training them in the language that they will go out uh, to, to preach in. And it seems like, again, if you would look at First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, uh, I'm not sure if they they ceased after the life of the apostles, or if this is just talking about on the last day. But even if it is just on the last day, this is not the greatest gift. <laughs> uh, the greatest one that will endure forever is love, the love of Christ, which will never end for you. So we can be comforted. And, and I, I think I, I share this so that, you know, there are times in which we uh, attend or have friends of different denominations. And we're like, well, I don't have that gift to perform a miracle. I've never spoken in tongues. I guess I'm never, not a Christian. Well, we'll get to the point of this text where you will have the assurance to know that Jesus is for you and, and that the gift of the Holy Spirit has been given to you. And where are we to look? Not to my abilities, but what has the Spirit, what has uh, Christ given to me and where should I look for that? And I, I guess that's the biggest muddy in the water that I want to move away from, which is where where do we find comfort? And it's not in my abilities, but where where is the Spirit given to me? I think that's incredibly important. I, I should say that my wife grew up Pentecostal. Uh, you know, I grew up uh, Southern Baptist, roughly. I say roughly because I did a couple different things too, but um, but she she always was faced with that growing up. This idea that she never felt the urge to speak in tongues as they do, and uh, there was some criticism there, right? Because oh, this, yeah. you know, you you aren't a full Christian, or you, you. I don't think they would actually say those kinds of things, but it was always implied that you haven't yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and there's different levels. And when that's the case, when you're looking for your own abilities to confirm. That, that God is with you, well, then obviously that's setting yourself up for failure. Uh, let's, let's hear what uh, Peter has to say. I think it's worth starting a few verses back. I'm going to start with verse 12 and uh, probably head to the end. Here we go. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Quote, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Uh, and I, I fibbed. I'm actually going to pause right there at the end of verse 21. Still plenty to go. Uh, so this first quote, right? This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. We're going to take that apart, but i got, I got to say something that always stands out to me every time I read this. Um, and, and that is verse 15. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That is, it's only 9 a.m. These people aren't drunk. I think that's a weird, it's almost as if saying, hey, guys, if this was like 11 o'clock at night, maybe you have a point they'd be drunk, right? <laughs> but no, they're not going to be drunk at 9 a.m. It's just a weird way to defend against that. Uh, has that ever stood out to you that they're like, you know, they can't be drunk, not because drinking is uh, drinking to excess is bad, but because it's 9 in the morning? Yeah, yeah, this is the, the 5 o'clock somewhere um, argument for right. the day of five o'clock. It's not even five o'clock. Um, uh, it's not even nine o'clock. I, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I think it's uh, very clear here that um, he's trying to make their argument just show as absurd as it can be. Right? Yeah. This is just nuts. You you know that you don't you don't get to do. <laughs> Alcohol doesn't do that. Doesn't make you more wise. I mean, <laughs> talk no. to any college student 
who has uh, failed a class. It's probably because they weren't being studious. They were being foolish. And they were not doing what they should be doing, which is studying at night. Maybe they were spending too much time with their friends. Um, no, it doesn't make you smarter. A anyone will, will know that. So, yeah, he's trying to point out, and he does so uh, quickly, snaps at them uh, to show them they have a foolish argument. Well, I, I do have to give a little anecdote myself. Now, certainly not to excess, but I was at the seminary in St. Louis. Were you in St. Louis or Fort Wayne? Fort Wayne. All right, so I was at the seminary in St. Louis, and uh, we are very near to the uh, Anheuser-Busch plant, you know, they, 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 the, the beer factory, right? And you could go there for free tours. And when I was taking Hebrew, we had a Hebrew exam every Friday, and me and a group of my friends would every Friday before the exam go and take the free tour so we could get the free beer at the end of the tour, um, and we would do that every Friday before a Hebrew exam. And I have to say, I don't know that being drunk will make you wise. I can't attest to that. But a couple beers, I think, helps Hebrew just a little bit, <laughs> if I have to say so myself. We did far better on the quizzes whenever we hit up the, the brewery beforehand. Uh, but anyway, yeah, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. I, I like what you say. He's just he's doubling down like... Um, it would have been it wouldn't have made a lot of sense to say, you know, I'm not going to get into the 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 sins of drinking to excess. I'm just going to point out that, guys, it's nine in the morning. And and as you already said, having new wine, I mean, that's some new wine if it is if it makes you able to speak foreign languages. But I assume if we if they're all speaking a different language, as I think we've concluded. Right. So they're all speaking a different language such that everybody in the audience is hearing them in their own language then that would sound like a babble. It would sound like a rabble if you were to listen to that and maybe not know any of the languages they're speaking, then all of a sudden it sounds just kind of like muddled nonsense. So that and, and so I I guess what I'm saying is some of the people who are mocking, maybe I'm maybe I'm <laughs> throwing them a bone because if they all speak, you know, Latin or Aramaic or something like that, and all these guys are speaking different dialects, they might very well think, oh, they're just babbling, they're just drunk. But then he says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And this passage from Joel is fascinating for a number of reasons, but first of all, it focuses on the last days, pouring out the Spirit, all of that makes sense. Um, this raises a question that I think people have asked me, and I, I, I know the answer, but I'm interested in your take. Um, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Um, when we think of the people, the disciples who are involved in this Pentecost moment, this isn't, this isn't just the, the 12 apostles, including Matthias. Uh, this is... This is many of the disciples, right? This is a, a larger group, men and women. Yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, chapter 1, doesn't it say 120? Right. You know, so, yeah, I, I think the commotion and everything is, is quite extensive. And then the gifts um, are being poured out on everyone. Um and was it just the disciples? I guess um, some of that I, I, I don't I won't know. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for um, both uh, our sons and our daughters. And they were prophesied. Now, my the question normally comes to me then says, you know, then so then our, our daughters could be pastors. And I would say, well, well, no, I mean, we have our texts about being a pastor, an elder, a presbyter, overseer. And then this text about being a believer. And that every believer is given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there is then that text about no distinctions between male and female, uh, about slave or free, about Jew or Gentile, about being a believer and being saved, being justified um, before the Lord. There is no distinction there. And uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit to tell our neighbor the gospel, uh, to tell our children and our friends the gospel, there is yeah, they, they both will speak um, the word of the Lord uh, to each other in that sense. And and that's certainly where I was going to. You know, people who favor women's ordination will point to this prophecy of Joel and Peter's recitation of it to say, look, you know, uh, the 
prophesying or proclaiming the word of God is a function of the Holy Spirit and therefore is open to all people. But I think that there's so much more in terms of um, principles of male headship and Paul's instructions to you know Timothy and Paul's writings in Corinthians, um, Jesus' own apostles and the makeup them. And, of course, even if we just read this in context, I think that's really what we would call eisegesis. It's, it's having an opinion and then searching for the scriptures that will make it, make it support your opinion. Right. But the when truth you're, is— oh, go, ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, but then we can say to our daughters uh, or to our wife, when your wife tells you that Jesus— when you are um, struggling in your sin and you, you have— done something, uh, a sinned against our, our children. You have been harsh and, and, and um, you know, uh, where you should have been uh, bringing the gospel, right? And your wife says to you, but Jesus forgives you, right? That Jesus took that sin to the cross. She is prophesying to you, right? And we can know that that is, that is a true forgiveness. When she forgives you your sins, she is forgiving you uh, just as Jesus spoke to you. Now, is she called to do that before the kind? No. But that is not less uh, of a, a prophecy because we do it to uh, each other. We're speaking to each other. Um, so we, we shouldn't um, say, we, well, I'll, I'll only speak God's word if I get to say it um, as the pastor. Well, what's right. that say, right? What are we saying to the Lord there? Uh, um, maybe that's also why um, only not every man is called, um, but only um, certain men are called uh, to, to be pastors. Um, <laughs> the man who says, I, I will only speak God's word if I can say it publicly. Maybe that's also yeah. a word of warning, right? Yeah, that's not the guy. Well, yeah. you know, and I think that's another error that people miss when they look for this to say, okay, this stand, this will support women's ordination. I think the other error they're falling into, an error that many people fall into, if not by, by their beliefs, at least by their actions, is that only the pastor can proclaim the word of God. Right. That only the pastor can tell people about Jesus. That only the pastor can go and evangelize people. Or as you said, forgive their sins. No, the pastor does these things publicly on behalf of the church, on behalf of the congregation. That's a completely different vocation than that of the Christian who is to go out. Sons and daughters, young men, old men, male servants, female servants. Everybody has access to the Holy Spirit and the responsibility to then proclaim the forgiveness of Christ to all nations. So I think that's a, a an easy error for people to fall into because that's how people act. That, that's the pastor's job. I'm going to show up, put a little on the plate, receive the gifts of God, all good things, but then when it comes to telling people about Jesus, I'm just going to leave it up to the pastor. <laughs> and that's just not the case. No, no, yeah. You are called to confess Christ, right? And that's not optional um, because silence is is a denial, and to denying Christ is not optional for us as Christians. Um, you you are you don't have freedom of speech as a Christian. You are bound to Christ, and you are bound to confess Christ. Um, and this is a joy for us. And this um, the spontaneous uh, gift of the Holy Spirit um, it should uh, should point us to this joyful wellspring of God's word that we should uh, rejoicingly. Uh, pour out as refreshment to those who are um, truly thirsty and thirsting for for God's word. Well, let's hear how he continues. So um, that wouldn't have been so much the issue during their day. It's an issue that we face. Yes. Uh, to them, it would be a lot more about, um, at least if, if I could, if I can say, would be you know why must we believe in this Jesus? We're Jews. We're sons of Abraham, et cetera, et cetera. Why is this Jesus guy even important? Well, that's why Peter's going to introduce Jesus now in this part of the sermon. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. 
You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and all of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let then all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. <laughs> Let's pause there. Um, so he, he turns it to Jesus, right? So he, he, it's interesting how he begins by pointing to the prophet Joel and then makes the turn to Jesus. He doesn't just start with Jesus. And, and not to make too fine a point on it, but it reminds me a little bit about the approach of the Lutherans uh, when we were setting forth our, our confessions before the Holy Roman Emperor. You know, we, we wanted to point out that this isn't some new religion we came up with and we're looking for people to accept it. We connected it to the, the church historic. And that seems to be what Luke is doing here. He's starting with, hey, listen, this shouldn't be surprising to any of you, especially you Jews, because, look, the Joel, Joel prophesied this, the prophet Joel. And then he makes the turn to Jesus. Yeah, and he, he turns to Jesus by, by going uh, to David as, as well. So, of course. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, you're right on that um, he's uh, clarifying their— uh, thoughts about the this gift and, and why should we even see this gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, this is something we should have been expecting. We sh if we're if we're faithful to God's word, we should have been expecting this, right? Uh, and the same thing with the coming of His Son, we should have uh, been, and many were, right? It's not like no one. The Lord uh, had had his uh, had his priest that it that uh, um, was longing for. Uh, the redemption of of Israel, and he, he had uh, many people who are who are longing, looking forward, uh, who heard uh, John preach and were coming to be baptized because of the day of the Lord was at at hand. So, um, yeah, uh, yet everyone, everyone should have been saying, well, of course, of course, Jesus is the Christ, because look at what the Lord is doing, in and through Him, let us let us listen, let us listen to Him, and that's. That's what the miracles are supposed to always do. Um, they are supposed to call us to then listen uh, to the one who is who is speaking. And we, we're called then to listen to Peter here as he's preaching Christ and him crucified. There's plenty of law, right? Because let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And you're like, yeah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I, it's not surprising that they are cut to the heart, as it says in the following verses. I'm going to read those and finish up our section. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, so yeah, he cuts them to the heart, and wouldn't you be, especially those who believe his words because the Holy Spirit present there, of course, is giving them faith. Um, and I love their response because it's the human response, right? Now that I recognize that I need to be saved, what do I have to do, right? What do I have to do to be saved? Do I need to go and pray a, a bunch of different prayers? Do I need to go and sell everything I own and give to the poor? Just tell me what I need to do, and I'll do it. Um, and then, of course, 
Peter gives them some instructions and it's all passive well, for the most yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, I would say a hundred percent passive um, because here the preaching of the law is bringing about these things. Repent. Well, what is that? That's contrition, sorrow over their sin. They are sorrowful, right? They were cut to the heart. They were sorrowful. And, and then repentance also is, is faith. Um, and then he gives them what they are to trust in, uh, be baptized, right? Um, they are to be baptized. They are to be washed. That is what they are to to turn to. They're to turn to Jesus. And here the, the working of the law, the working of the Holy Spirit through the word is turning them not to themselves, as you said, not to the works that they could do or anything else. They can't do it. That's, that's why they need to be saved. And so they are to to be turned uh, to the to to this amazing promise of the Holy Spirit, which is given in baptism, and that's that's the the clarity of this great text. You know, this is what you have. The day of Pentecost is not over. Um, the Penteco- this day of Pentecost, this eternal day of the Lord, is continuing. Every time His Word is being preached, the Holy Spirit is at work. Every time the, the gifts of 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 our Lord are being given out. The Holy Spirit is at work. Everything you learned in confirmation class concerning the, the third article, the Apostles' Creed, this is what the Lord is doing, and he is doing it to you and, and for you um, so that you aren't left wondering, am I really a Christian? I'm not seeing these amazing things being done in my life. We are looking at the wrong place. Look to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then you can see um, that Jesus is really for, for you couple of uh, little housekeeping points that I want to make sure we bring up. And, and again, I'm not picking on the Pentecostals, but they base a lot of their theology on this event, or at least the foundation for their theology. And one of the things that comes up is this idea that um, obviously children are not to be baptized. Uh, they, like our Baptist friends, think that they need to be of a certain age of accountability first. Um, and they would argue that when it says in verse 39, for the promises for you and for your children, they want to twist that to say, well, of course that means children who are of the age of accountability. <laughs> right. But but that really is limiting a statement that I believe is meant to be all-inclusive. It's for you, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. In other words, everybody, <laughs> everybody, because the Lord desires all people to be saved. Um, why certain denominations want to limit the grace of God, I, I've never understood, even having grown up around them. Yeah, I think, you know, when we when we hear it from different denominations, it is a, a misunderstanding of the gift of baptism, that baptism is something that the Lord is doing. And if he's doing it, then he can do it uh, and give it to us at, at any age, at, you know, uh, at, at, at the moment of, of birth, um, to, to the point uh, where we're 99 years old and say, Lord, have mercy, I can't, I can't do it, I can't save myself when we're faced with the reality of death. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a misunderstanding of what uh, baptism is. And then once we understand that this is a gift of the, the Lord and not uh, an act of obedience of the person, then we start understanding the real reality of grace. And, and if we say that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, um, in Christ alone, um, that infant baptism, you can't deny, if, if you deny infant baptism, you're really denying that we're really saved only by the grace of the Lord, only by Jesus alone. You, you're saying that you have to do something, and um, infant baptism shows us, no, no, let these little children come to me, because um, it's, all, it's, all, it's all our God's doing. Also about baptism, there are some, and you said Jesus alone, that's an interesting phrase, because there are some people who believe in baptism in the name of Jesus only, typically uh, many of the, the, the Pentecostal friends that we're talking about. And so that comes from Acts, because it says often, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when Acts talks about baptism, it frequently will say, in the name of Jesus Christ. But in Matthew, we're told that we are to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, help people understand why, you know, Jesus Christ 
is essentially a synecdoche for the whole Trinity. But like, but but why is it focused on Jesus Christ here as opposed to the Trinitarian formula that we believe is the the proper one? Yeah, I think it's one and the same, right? Um, when we understand Matthew twenty twenty eight nineteen, where Jesus says, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name," right? That's singular. <laughs> Whose name is that? Is Jesus? What is Jesus? Father's, what is God's name? God's right. name is singular, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the mystery of the Trinity. It's definitely, in my opinion, definitely shorthand when we say we baptize in Jesus. What is Jesus' name? Well, this is a, it's still Trinitarian. Um, so I, I think it's missing the connection between Matthew 28 here and Acts, um, the singularity of the name, but the plurality of, of persons. Um, so, yeah, I, I would help people try to make that connection. Well, as we're finishing up our program today, it ends with save yourselves from this crooked generation. I got to tell you, that makes me feel a little better about today's crooked generation. If nothing else, things do not change. God is powerful back then to save us from the wickedness of this world, uh, and that, that continues today. He, he gives us faith and strength to be able to confront this wicked generation with the message of hope in Jesus, calling people to repentance. Brother, anything else you want people to know before we finish up? Uh, no, I, th- I think we should. I think uh, we got it, huh? Out. Well, I'm yeah. so grateful for you being uh, here this morning. It's the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Brother, I look forward to seeing you back on the program soon. Well, thank you. God's blessings to you. You too. Folks, tomorrow we're covering Acts 2, the rest of it, verse, 20, uh, verse 42, pardon me, through the end of chapter 3. Luke is going to tell us about the dedication of these earliest Christians to worshiping the Lord in unity. On their way to the temple, they encounter a beggar who cannot walk, and he asks them for alms, for anything. But gold and silver they don't have, but what they gave him he could have never anticipated. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong words.